Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis 43 once again this morning. The final stage of reconciliation within Jacob's family and the fulfillment of God's program for Israel is recorded in Genesis chapters 42 through 45. So let's take a moment this morning and just kind of review where we're at. God's intention for Israel began way back in Genesis chapter 12 and the Abrahamic covenant. The Lord promised to make of of Abraham a great nation through which he would eventually bless the whole world. And that promise was passed down to his son Isaac and then his son Jacob. And now we're at the stage where Jacob's 12 sons are currently being molded into the 12 patriarchs who will make up the 12 tribes of God's people, Israel. Now this purpose has been threatened in many ways as we've looked at this story moving forward. And the most current one, a devastating famine in the Middle East. And God's immediate purpose now is to preserve his people and really the world of that region from starvation through his servant Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, God uses this circumstance to begin the process of reconciliation in Jacob's family. The unity and the leadership needed to formulate a strong nation. Now, Joseph's brothers have to come face to face with their jealousy, their selfishness, their fractiousness, in order to participate in the big picture, the fulfillment of God's program for them. The path to reconciliation and fulfillment began in chapter 42, as the ten brothers are forced to travel to Egypt for food. And while they're there, uh, Joseph was used of God to begin testing their character and preparing them for future leadership. All this is going to culminate in chapter 45 when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and explains God's purpose to them as he says to them, and God sent me before you to preserve uh, preserve a posterity for you on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Chapter 43 provides the circumstances for a return to Egypt where the brothers are further tested and finally uh, reconciled with Joseph. Today, the true church of God is the ultimate fulfillment of all nations being blessed through Abraham's seed. It's through him that the Lord Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of the world, not to save it from a famine, but to save it from sin, death, and hell. And we are going to participate, or we're able to participate in this program by preaching the gospel to the lost and edifying believers through the teaching of God's word. So our passage today suggests a number of ways that we too may cooperate in God's program. So let's ask the Lord's blessing as we look to this chapter this morning. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for these Old Testament narratives 
that give us the historical background of uh, the Lord's coming into the world and the establishment of the New Testament church. And Lord, we pray that as we see how uh, the family of Jacob began to come together and fulfill your purposes in your program, help us, Lord, to see today how we cooperate in your modern-day program for the church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look again at this chapter, the first thing that I want to share with you is that those who cooperate in God's program must prove to be responsible people. We see this in chapter 43, verses 1 through 10. In the first few verses here, we find that Jacob has really kind of shirked his responsibility. He's kind of gone a little bit backward in his walk with God. It's clear here that he's still head of the family since he's the one who instructs his sons to return to Egypt. But they're not going to take matters in their own hands until uh, he gives permission to do so. However, Jacob has been remiss in obtaining more food to survive the famine. He's waited really too long. So let's take a look here at the, uh, the circumstances. The famine was severe in the land. According to chapter 45, we're at the end of the second year of this famine. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. So we're reminded of the severity of the situation. Uh, Jacob's sons went to Egypt for food and they've now eaten up all those provisions. And it's probably a little bit too long in their waiting to go back. And in verse 10, Judah reminds his father that if he had acted appropriately, they could have gone to Egypt and back two times by now. But what's holding them up? Well, Jacob has delayed because of his fear that something is going to happen to his youngest and most beloved son, Benjamin, even though by this time Benjamin is at least 23 years old and uh, could be as old as 25. And his favoritism, uh, favoritism is still causing harm to the welfare of his family. Furthermore, he still has some hard feelings toward his sons for telling the man in verse 6 uh, of... Uh, uh, that they had another brother. And interestingly, they're referring to Joseph as the man. It's really the man that they fear in this whole situation, not knowing who he really is. And in his mind, in Jacob's mind, everything's working against him. As we saw back in the last chapter, all these things are working against me. Chapter 36, verse 36, chapter 42, the last part of that verse. And, uh, and he's, he's feeling uh, victimized by his own family, uh, but he has actually been guilty of his natural fears, feeling sorry for himself, and failing to put his trust in God's uh, protection. And instead of being responsible to save his family from the famine, he's actually put them in jeopardy again because he's waited so long to get the supplies in Egypt. And... Uh, they're actually, again, in danger of starving. So he's acting like the old selfish Jacob instead of Israel, who wrestled with God and prevailed and began to build his faith in the Lord. Well, this morning, do you ever feel like everything is going against you? Do you ever wonder why the Lord's allowing adversity to come into your life? 
in those times, we must not succumb to fear, gripe about our situation, or feel that we're victimized. These times are in God's hand, and these times are to test our faith, to, uh, to uh, uh, get us to trust in his purpose, and to seek his guidance and comfort. And that's our responsibility as a believer in Christ in difficult times. Now, as we look again at these verses, we see that Judah is taking upon responsibility uh, of leadership in the family. And he begins to uh, play a major role now in the story that leads up to reconciliation. He's negotiating with his father to do the right thing on behalf of the family's welfare. So his character is beginning to formulate and change and become what it needs to be for the the scepter of rule to be placed upon his particular tribe of Judah. Now let's be reminded of some evidences of Judah becoming responsible for his actions. And one area we find this is going back to chapter 38 and the affair with Tamar. Now we know that that was uh, inappropriate, that was wrong. But when he found out uh, that uh, he failed to keep his word to Tamar and he put that aside and didn't do the right thing, he declared that she was more righteous than he was and he took those boys under his wing and they became his sons uh, uh, and became part of the tribe of Israel. And so he took responsibility for his actions. He didn't try to shove it under the table or shirk it. He did what was the right thing, even though it came out of a wrong thing. Now, as uh, he's speaking to his father, he firmly but kindly reminds him of the current situation and why they will not return to Egypt in verses 3 to 5. Judah spoke to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face until your brother's with you. And if you send our brother with us, we'll go and buy the food. That's the stipulation. But if you don't, we're not going to go down there. It's too dangerous. We know what well may happen. And of course, the man, Joseph, had said, uh, if, if they come back, well, it's death for you. So obviously, they're not going to go back without Benjamin. And even if they have Benjamin, there's still a little bit of danger involved because you have the issue of the money that was found in their sacks. They would be thinking, well, the Egyptians are thinking we didn't pay for it. It's stolen money. We still could get in big uh, trouble for that. So Judah is willing now to take full responsibility for what happens to Benjamin if his father will let him go down. And we see that in his speech here uh, in verse 8. And incidentally, um, the brothers agree with this action because they're defending what uh, their father uh, really kind of accused them of in verse 6 and saying, you know, we couldn't know what was happening here. But as uh, we look at verses 8 to 10, Judah is taking responsibility for his brother Benjamin. He's acting on behalf of the family that they may live and not die. Verse 8, send the lad with me, we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Those are the exact words that Jacob used the first time he sent the family down to Egypt 
we're going to not survive this famine. We've got to go down there. We've got to get the supplies we need for life itself. So he's turning things around with Jacob's own words. He also promises to be surety for his brother Benjamin. Verse 9, I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. And if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. All right, so he's again acting on behalf of the whole family for their welfare. He promises that he will take care of Benjamin and he puts his life on the line for the sake of the family. Now remember earlier, uh, when they came back from Egypt, Reuben attempted to take upon himself this responsibility. But what was his offer? Well, if I don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. So you can kill your grandson. That's not a really good plan. That's not a helpful plan. Judah, however, is not going to say, take somebody else and blame them. You blame me. You take it out on me, and whatever punishment you bring, I will bear it for the rest of my life if I fail to do this. So he's willing to have any results come upon himself and not anybody else. So Judah actually saved two of his brothers by his plan. Reuben uh, failed to save either one by his plans. Remember back when uh, they first decided what to do with Jacob, or excuse me, with Joseph. They were going to kill him. But Judah said, no, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So he saved his life. Didn't do the right thing, but he saved his life in that situation. And now his plan is actually going to deliver Simeon from prison as well. So he's becoming a responsible, uh, trustworthy leader and starting to do some good things. And if we're going to participate in God's program of saving the lost and edifying those who do get saved, we too must fulfill our responsibilities and our individual families as well as the family of God. And the New Testament is full of those responsibilities. We're responsible to worship the Lord wholeheartedly, to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others, to live for God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to try to treat, uh, try to reach other people with the gospel. So are you cooperating with God's program this morning by being a responsible Christian? Now the second thing we want to see this morning is Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob's response in verses 11 through 14. And here we see that those who cooperate with God's program must lay aside their fears and trust the mercy and providence of God. Now, in these verses, it seems that Jacob is coming back to his own responsibility uh, as Israel, the leader of the clan, and he submits to Judah's stipulations. Verse 11, their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. So he's realizing there's really no alternative if we're going to save the family, if we're going to uh, keep from starving, then we've got to go through with this, and he's really got to put his trust back in the Lord. So he tells his sons what to do. He says, first of all, take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels 
and carry down a little present for the man, uh, balm and uh, honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Now these were particular goods of that region that may not have been able uh, uh, available elsewhere. They still had enough of that left to get a little gift together to take down the pharaoh. And the honey especially would have been appreciated because that was a, a natural uh, sweetener. So he does this to really uh, honor and respect the Pharaoh or, or, or Joseph and to put his sons in the best possible favor so Simeon will be released and they'll be able to get some more food and bring it back and, and really kind of save their family. So they're also to return all the money, what they took in the first place, and then enough to uh, get more supplies so they won't look like they've been dishonest, and they will be honest like they said they were, which will prove to um, Joseph that they're not spies. And most importantly, in verse 13, take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. The man they fear, the man they're going to respect. All right, so that's the most important thing, most important decision Jacob has come to. Uh, We must overcome, he's got to overcome his fear that he might lose his son as he had lost Joseph by placing this fear in the providential hand of God. And in doing that, Jacob is once again taking responsibility for the welfare of his family as hard as that might be. And furthermore, as he comes to this decision, he calls upon Almighty God to be merciful to them in their quest for releasing Simeon and preserving Benjamin in verse 14. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother. Notice Simeon doesn't even get to be named. And Benjamin, if I'm bereaved, I am bereaved. All right, so this name for God is El Shaddai, which is associated in the book of Genesis with the covenant promises of God and his ability to fulfill them as the Almighty One. And this is the name uh, by which God revealed himself the first time to Jacob at Bethel, and prove through the next many years uh, that he was capable of fulfilling his promises, his word to Jacob. And now it's to this God that Jacob appeals for mercy on his son's journey. And he's resigned to whatever may happen. If I'm bereaved, then I'm bereaved, I'm going to have to deal with it. So Jacob is submitting to the sovereign plan of God, putting his trust in the Lord's mercy and grace for this plan to work out, and uh, uh, trusting in God's covenant love, the promises that he has given through Abraham uh, uh, to grant them a safe return. So he's finally turning the situation over to God's control. And there are many circumstances in life's journey that may cause us to fear and be full of consternation. We're not sure of the outcomes, 
And in those times, we must put our trust in the promises of God to never leave us or forsake us. No matter how dire the situation, we have to remember that the Lord is merciful, he's gracious, he's promises, he promises to take care of us. And it may be difficult for us from time to time to see the big picture, uh, the full program of God, but we have to trust that things will work out according to his good uh, or, or our good and his glory as we put our trust in him. So again, are you cooperating with God's program, trusting in his providential mercy, even in the most difficult of times? That brings us then to the situation as the brothers come back and they meet Joseph for the second time. And here we see that those who cooperate with God's program must make amends for wrongdoing, perceived and real. So Joseph's brothers are suspicious now of what takes place because they don't know who Joseph is and they're still having guilt problems over things that have happened in the past. <clears throat> so in verse 15, uh, the men that, uh, so the men took that present and Benjamin, they took double money in their hand, they rose, went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. So they follow their father's instruction. They're before Joseph. And when Joseph sees Benjamin, he said to the steward, take these men to my home, slaughter an animal, make it ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now, we know that uh, his calling to their home was a hospitable one. He had good intentions. Uh, he had uh, plans for his brothers. But <clears throat> when his brothers see this taking place, they take it in a totally wrong way. It was very unusual for a person in Joseph's official capacity to call you to his home. And this causes the brothers to be afraid of what's going to happen because he has done this. You look at verse 18. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time, that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys. So again, they don't know what's going on. They're thinking bad things. This whole idea of God uh, providentially kind of working against them because of the guilt they had over things in the past. And it's interesting how their thinking parallels their action toward Joseph so many years before. They fear the Egyptians will make a case or the Egyptians will assault them, uh, Joseph particularly, that he will seize them and he will make them slaves. That's exactly what they did to Joseph 20 some, 20 some, uh, some years before this. Now, in this matter, they are innocent, but their fear really all connects to their ill treatment of Joseph 
and God's providential dealings with them up to this point, and they're still just living in fear of what's going to happen, even though in this particular situation, they didn't do anything wrong, and they're trying to do the right thing correcting it. Now, in verses 19 to 25, we see that if we will deal with misperceptions in an honest way, we're going to receive God's favor as a result of it. Now, as they think about this and they think about the trouble they are probably in, they begin to talk to the steward and explain the situation. So they're trying to do the right thing and portray themselves as honest men as they told Joseph the first time they went down. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, so we brought it back in our hand. We want to do the right thing. We don't want you to think we stole this. And we brought down other money in our hands to buy food, and we don't know who put our money in our sacks. We don't know how this happened. So what they've done is they telescope the whole scenario of what happened into this one story that eventually they all realized their money had been given back to them. So this is the source of their fear. And they're trying to do the right thing. And the steward quells their fear by his answer. And strangely enough, he's extending to them shalom, or peace in this situation. Verse 23, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Everything's okay. It's all been taken care of. You don't have to be afraid. And he says, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And it's interesting here uh, that uh, he extends to them peace, they're not at peace. And he's, um, uh, he's attributing the events to their God and the God of their father. So this may be an indication that he actually believed in Joseph's God, whom Joseph, though Egyptianized, had never abandoned. Uh, and it's at this time then that Simeon is brought out to them. The end of verse uh, 23 there. And this is also interesting because his release is not associated with uh, Joseph seeing him with the brothers the first time. It's in relationship to explaining the mystery of the money. So was Joseph kind of expecting a display of honesty in that regard? before releasing Simeon? Well, we don't know, but that might have been the case. The family uh, is then blessed by Joseph's hospitality and preparation for the meal, verses 24 to 25. Um, He brought them into the house. He gave them water. He refreshed them by washing their feet, took care of their donkeys, and then uh, they made the present ready for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that they were going to eat lunch with him. So they were all worried, really, about nothing, but because of their previous uh, guilty sensations, they're always looking at things in a negative way. So in God's program, 
Honesty is a good policy. It's the best policy. In honesty, we confess our sins to God and anyone we may offend. And this instills an atmosphere of trust and unity that enhances God's purposes. And even when we may not be at fault, it's still proper to clear up misperceptions and misunderstandings among God's people. And his favor will be upon those who do so. Now, the last thing we want to see here is that the character of those who cooperate with God's program will often be tested. Joseph is being used of God to test these men, to test their character, to see if any changes are coming about in them. And so as we look at these last few verses, first of all, let's notice that the good character are those uh, of good character in God's program reveal genuine concern for others. And we see this, of course, in the life of Joseph. Now, the first thing that we notice here, reminding us of Joseph's dream, is in verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand in the earth and bowed down before him to the earth. Joseph's dream, 11 brothers represented by sheaves of grain, connecting this all with the need for grain in Egypt, are now bowing down to him like he originally dreamed. That had to have come to his mind as he sees this developing. Not just 10, but all 11 of them now. And uh, this is the very action that... uh, they had mocked and they had rebelled against when Joseph conveyed his dream. And it was really the reason for their wanting to get rid of him and selling him into Egypt in the first place. But now they are humbled before this man who holds their fate in his hand. And although they're still yet unaware that it is before Joseph they are bowing, their humble attitude does not change through the rest of the story. So that's evidence that their character is getting to be where it ought to be. Now Joseph, as he meets with them, uh, demonstrates genuine concern despite his previous harsh behavior because they kept their word and they brought Benjamin back this time. Uh, So he inquires about the family in verse 27, is your father well? The old man of whom he spoke, is he still alive? So he wants to know, is Abraham, st- uh, or excuse me, is Jacob uh, still well? And the word well-being here is the same word as shalom or peace that was offered through his steward. So again, he's wishing uh, good things upon the family, extending peace to them as well. So Joseph's demeanor is changing here. Uh, He's merciful, he's kind, he's hospitable. There's no longer any necessity of being harsh because they have proven themselves in this particular area. His his compassion, though, is displayed as he recognizes Benjamin now among his brothers in his home. Uh, Verse 29, he lifted his eyes, He saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, so that's his full-blooded brother, 
Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now, you remember what Jacob's prayer was? That God Almighty would show them mercy. And the word grace here is the same word. So this is really an answer to Jacob's prayer that the man, they would find mercy from this man. And God, uh, God is now, through Joseph, conveying that mercy to them and answering that prayer. But we want to notice here and keep in mind that this is the only one of the brothers that he extends this blessing to. So there's something else going on here as well. And of course, when all this happens, he can no longer control his compassion and he has to go out. He finds a place in his bedroom to weep. Uh, He's there for a while. He washes up and then he comes back out to share the meal with his brother. So we see his emotions um, having to be hid right now because he's not done uh, with his program and testing his brothers. There's still a couple of more things he needs to find out. So we see then in the, in the final uh, paragraph here that those of good character in God's program will enjoy their benefits even when others are honored above them. And this had not been a characteristic of his brothers prior to this time. So he's still testing them out a little bit. As we see some strange things happening in this uh, feast that Joseph puts before them. First of all, they set him, Joseph, a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. So we've got this separation going on. The the man of highest stature is at a table by himself. The guests are at another table. And the Egyptians are yet at another table. So they're not really eating totally together. There's this separation. And we might wonder, well, what's going on here? Well, uh, we've heard of white privilege. This is Egyptian privilege. Uh, They believed they were superior to foreigners and it was disgusting to them to sit at the table with foreigners and these are Hebrews. Now it's true that Joseph was a Hebrew, but Joseph was Egyptianized and it would have been offensive uh, to his court if he ate at the same table with these foreigners. So he had to be separate, and of course he was by himself because of his social status. The rest of his staff who may have been there ate at another table, and then the Hebrews ate at their own table. And we uh, need to think a little bit forward here, because God would use <clears throat> this Egyptian attitude to actually protect his people in Egypt. Because in Canaan, they were tempted to be Canaanized. But in Egypt, there wasn't even that problem because the Egyptians didn't want you in their culture. You were to be separate from them. And so they could live in the land of Goshen and God could bless their growth and development until it actually became a problem for the Egyptians. So so God had something else in mind here as well. The next thing we find here is that the brothers are arranged in birth order from oldest 
to youngest, and this just kind of blows their mind. Because the odds of that happening by chance are 40 million to one. So it wasn't done by chance, and so this is kind of making them, I'm sure, to miss the divine design of that would have been really surprising. And they're just kind of amazed that it worked out this way. And this just kind of adds to their consternation about this this strange man and all these things associated with their family that's coming from him. Excuse me. So all this serves, again, as a test. It's a test of the brother's jealousy. Would they look down and mistreat the favored brother, the only one who received a gracious blessing by the man? The one when he was served got five times the amount everybody else got. So are they still having the attitude toward this favored brother as they had toward Joseph, whom they resented, whom they hated because he was favored by their father and they eventually got rid of them because of their jealousy and their envy toward him. So he's really kind of testing, does that attitude still hold true toward Benjamin, who he knows is favored by Jacob because he didn't come down the first time, and he did some things purposely to bring out any jealousy that might have been there. So what happens? Well, the last uh, sentence says, so they drank and they were merry with him. They had a good time. There weren't any signs of this previous animosity. They're getting along and they're doing the right thing. The Word of God says much about bitterness and resentment and envy and jealousy or strife among God's people. All of these are sinful attitudes that hamper God's program. And if they're present, they need to be repented of. Nothing harms the unity of the saints and the program of God more than ill will between his people. Even Christians are susceptible to what they perceive as favoritism in a family or a church setting, and it easily gets under the skin. But in the long run, if others are honored before us, is that really a big deal? Even if they don't deserve it, what difference does it make in God's plan to us? One day the Bible tells us we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will receive honest reward and accolades for our character, our actions, our service. Not somebody else's, but ours. And that's really what counts. So we ought to be like the brothers and rejoice in the many benefits of uh, our uh, relationship with other people, the benefits of our salvation, the benefits of our service, And it doesn't really matter if someone else is honored above us. All that matters is that we honor Christ and we faithfully live for him. So are you cooperating today with God's program or not? If so, then you're going to be responsible for your actions. You're going to set aside whatever fears you may have and trust God in all situations. 
You're going to be honest in making amends for wrongdoing, whether real or perceived, and you're going to grow as God tests your character. And may it be our heart's desire to participate in God's program in these many ways. Let's ask the Lord to bless these things to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for the lessons we learn from your Old Testament word. And as these uh, men begin to participate in your program in these different ways, help us, Lord, in our day to have the same attitude, to cooperate by trusting you in all ways, by being responsible for the things that you've handed to us, for treating each other with respect and love, and creating an atmosphere of unity where you can be lifted up and glorified and not worry about other people and how they're honored or favored, uh, even if it seems to be above us. Lord, use these things in our hearts and lives to uh, build our bond together and to serve you in this community. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.